You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. You just remember what your old pal said, boy. You got a friend in me. Yeah, you got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got troubles. I got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we see it through cause you got a friend in me. Yeah, you got a friend in me. Got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got troubles. I got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we see it through cause you got a friend in me. Yeah, you got a friend in me. And as the years go by, our friendship will never die. You're gonna see it's our destiny. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Yeah, you've got a friend in me. Grace and peace and welcome to Cooksbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens, and I serve as the pastor here. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Happy Easter! That's right, it's still Eastertide, the season that stretches from Easter Sunday until Pentecost Sunday, a time of celebration, 50 days worth of celebrating. Every Sunday throughout this season, I've been encouraging all who worship with us to think about ways to celebrate, whether it's making your favorite meal or buying your favorite food, uh, finding your favorite drink, turning up your favorite song to 11 through your sound system. Uh, today, I want us to think about uh, watching our favorite movie. Uh, watching a movie that we really love can be an act of celebration. I, I really love the movie Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks film, the black and white movie with Gene Wilder. I've seen it so many times that I, I'm pretty sure I know every single word to that movie. And whenever I watch it, it kind of feels like a little celebration as I get to shout the, the dialogue at the TV as I'm hearing it come back to me. Another movie that I really, really love, I think you'll be able to tell because of things that are happening in worship today, is Toy Story. I love Toy Story. Buddy, or Buzz and Woody and this, this journey of what friendship looks like. But I really love the music from Toy Story, the music of Randy Newman. Uh, I think movies can be acts of celebration because, like Scripture, they help reveal something about ourselves to ourselves, about who we are, and at least in the context of Scripture, whose we are. So this week, I encourage you, if you can carve out some time, watch your favorite movie. Sit back, enjoy, and, and treat it as an act of celebration. There are a lot of things going on in the life of Cokesbury. You can find out more about our church through our Facebook page or our website. There's an online bulletin. The link for accessing it is in the video description. It will contain our scripture, our prayers, our hymn, all that sort of good information. So I encourage you now to think about friendship and what it means to be friends with friends, but also to be a friend 
of the Lord. Let's pray silently for a moment. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, you are the light in which there is no darkness. You are the love that knows no coldness. You have loved us and freed us to love you and each other. You are the life that mocks death. So, Lord, do not let us remain dull and indifferent to your love. Let us today see at least something of the riches of your goodness. Let it enter our hearts and enlighten us, uphold us, comfort us, and even admonish us. Lord, we confess that none of us is a great Christian. Rather, we're all very weak Christians, but your grace is sufficient for us. Awaken us to the small joy and thankfulness that we are capable of, the timid faith that we bring, the incomplete obedience that we cannot refuse, to the hope in the greatness, wholeness, and completeness that you have prepared for us in the death of your Son, who came to bring us life and life abundant. And now, Lord, each of us will lift up to you our own joys and concerns this day, whether silently or aloud. And now, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from John 15, 9 through 17. Hear now God's holy word. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 526 from the United Methodist Hymnal. Shouldn't come as a surprise considering what I just read and what I've said. This is what a friend we have in Jesus. If you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in our online bulletin. But join me now over at the drums as I play and sing with me, What a Friend We Have in Jesus.
friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. During the height of the civil rights movement, Fred Craddock found himself driving across the country. He was making his way through northern Mississippi early one morning, and he needed to stop for coffee and some breakfast. He found a no-name diner in the middle of a no-name town, and he decided to pop in. Now, it was early enough in the morning that Craddock was alone in the diner with the short-order cook. And so while Craddock was sitting at the counter making his way through some soggy eggs and some overly strong coffee, a black man entered into the diner as well, sat down at a nearby stool, ordered, and asked for a coffee. The cook promptly turned around, looked at this new man in the face, and said, Get out of here. We don't serve your kind. And the man patiently responded, Well, my money is just as good as his, while motioning over toward Craddock. But the cook remained firm and pointed at the door, and he said, that sign says white, whites only, so get out before I put you out. And with that, the black man sighed and slowly removed himself from the counter, and he left. Now, Craddock continued to sit there. He finished his meal, he paid, and he left. But right before he got into his car, in the still and quiet of the early morning, he heard a rooster crow in the distance. It's a pretty important story. I'm wondering, I mean, did any of you feel any chills as I got to the end of it? Some of you will undoubtedly appreciate the narrative and its enduring reminder about racism in this country. 
But some of you, you'll, you'll hear that story and it will hit even harder. It will hit harder because that story connects deeply with the strange new world of the Bible. Fred Craddock, the man from the story, after sitting and witnessing racism, bigotry, belittling, all that that happened just a few feet away from him, he realized in the rooster's crow that he himself had just denied Jesus like Peter did right before the crucifixion. The story of Craddock's experience, it becomes powerful, particularly in light of its biblical connection. For had Craddock been unfamiliar with the stories of God, he could have heard that rooster crow in the distance and paid it no thought and drove, drive away as if nothing had ever happened. But Craddock, he knew the strange new world of the Bible. He knew it because he was a preacher. One of the most important preachers of the second half of the 20th century, eventually he became a teacher of preachers. And when he heard that rooster call in the distance, it changed his life forever. Now, I read that story that Craddock tells from a collection of his own sermons years and years ago, and that story has always stuck with me. Which makes me wonder, can any of you remember any particular sermons? So just pause for a moment, if you don't mind, and try. Try to recall a particular phrase or a story or a major point from a sermon. And if it should prove helpful, you can literally pause the video or the audio if it helps you, which frankly is not something I ever thought I'd ever be able to say in a sermon in my life. But nevertheless, here we are. So can you remember anything particular about a particular sermon? Most often, we we tell stories or, or preachers preach sermons in order that they might be remembered. Dr. Ellen Davis, a professor from Duke Divinity, she believes, though, that sermons and, and stories should fun function differently. She makes the case that a successful story, a successful sermon, is one that isn't remembered at all. Sounds a little strange, right? I mean, I've stood in this pulpit for nearly four years every Sunday, well, for four years nearly every Sunday, in hopes that some of you might actually remember what I've said. But to be perfectly honest, I can't even really remember what I said last week. So perhaps Dr. Davis is right. The best sermons are those that are forgettable. They are the best because part of the Christian journey is showing up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to hear the good news afresh because it is a story we return to again and again because it tells us who we are. And we listen to it again and again and again because there are countless other narratives in the world that are vying for our allegiances. But this story, the gospel story, the good news is one that is the difference that makes all the difference. It tells us who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. And yet, there are some things that we receive from the pulpit or all sorts of other places that really do stay with us and they re-knit who we can be. I mean, that's what happened to Fred Craddock. Somehow, some way, the story of Peter and the rooster from the Gospels hit him such that he could recognize something profound in his own life when something similar happened. God, in a sense, worked through a story from Scripture, a truth about Craddock that he needed to hear that he didn't even realize about himself. That because he didn't do anything when he was at the diner, he was not a friend of Jesus. When Jesus gathered with his friends for their final evening before the crucifixion, they shared bread and wine. Jesus washed their feet, and he left them with parting thoughts about what it would all look like on the other side. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I've said all of this so that you might have joy, that you might have my joy, and that your joy might be complete. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends. Friends. Jesus calls the disciples, even us, his friends. That's a little strange because it's, it's one thing to sing, What a friend we have in Jesus. But it's another thing entirely to think, What a friend Jesus has in me or in us. Because the friends around the table that night with the Lord very shortly denied him, betrayed him, and abandoned him. It's all good and fine to think about how we have a friend in Jesus, but does Jesus really have friends in us? As in our own lives, like Craddock, we regularly fail to see Jesus in one another as we constantly deny the value or the worth of other people. We choose to look out for ourselves far more than we do for other people, and when all is said and done, we are far, far, far more content knowing Jesus is our friend than ever trying to imagine ourselves as Jesus' friends. The words we hear in one place and time can take on an entirely different meaning if we receive them in another time in another place. Imagine a time you've heard a friend say to you, Oh, it's so good to see you. We can easily brush that aside because we've undoubtedly heard those words before. But now imagine getting to see a friend that you haven't seen throughout the entirety of the pandemic. And then that friend says to you, Oh, it's so good to see you. It's the same words, but it takes on an entirely different meaning because of context. Or think of Craddock. He probably heard, read, and even preached the story of Peter's denial many, many, many times, but it was only when he was in the diner and he heard the rooster crow in his own life that the story and the words became real. Think about the first disciples. On their final evening with Jesus, he calls them his friends. Maybe that meant a lot to them at the time, but chances are those words didn't mean squat. They didn't mean anything because within 24 hours, he was alone hanging on a cross. But then, consider the disciples a few days later, cowering in the upper room on Easter evening when the resurrected Jesus returns to his so-called friend, friends and he offers them peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. I have called you friends takes on a whole new meaning in just three days. Friends of the Lord. You know, in another place of scripture, Abraham is called a friend of God. That might not seem like much, but the friendship between Abraham and the Lord was made manifest in a bizarre and confounding set of dynamic moments. Abraham was a content octogenarian who is told to leave the comforts of home behind him in order to become a stranger in a strange land. He's told that he will become a father in the twilight of his life. He is told to sacrifice his son, the son he loves, all because of his friendship with God. You know, it's all too easy to water down the faith into, you know, being called to just love one another a little bit more. But that's not really what faith is all about, sure. Sure, we have to love one another. That's literally what Jesus says in our scripture today, before and after he calls them his friends. It's not a question of whether or not we love, but whether or not we love rightly. We, the church, we exist to welcome all people, 
But that love actually usually looks like a bunch of judgments. We talk about one another behind each other's backs. We make assumptions that really have no basis in reality. And we are far more content to let whatever those relationships look like remain something that happens on Sunday alone and never to be found Monday through Saturday. But we can know what real love and real friendship look like because we know Jesus and him crucified. We can know what love and friendship really looks like because we know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love, to put it bluntly, is cruciform. It's sacrifice. Love is coming down into the muck and mire of this life, being betrayed and then returning to the betrayers and calling them friends. Love is not sitting idly by at a diner when injustice takes place. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. In other words, friends of Jesus are those who share in the remarkable knowledge of what God is doing in the world. What is God doing? God is re-knitting the cosmos. God is rectifying our wrongs. God is involved in the creation of a community called church that is predicated on a cruciform love, a love that really embraces everyone. A friend of God has this love and offers that love toward other people. And friends, it is not easy. It comes at a cost. I mean, the world is not prepared for this kind of love. And more often than not, it will reject this love just as it rejected Jesus. Jesus, to use his own words, shows ultimate love by laying down his life for his friends, his friends who did not deserve that title at all. Jesus did it for them, for us, for the world. Now, chances are you won't remember this sermon. I probably won't either. Our brains can hardly handle all the information that we regularly consume every day. But at the very, very least, I hope that we will all rest in the somewhat discomforting knowledge that Jesus has the gall to call us his friends. And so I'll end with the enduring words of Randy Newman. And as the years go by, our friendship will never die. You're going to see it's our destiny. You've got a friend in me, in Jesus. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. What a friend we have in you, O Lord. To you we can bring all of our sins and our griefs because we know that you can handle them. We can bring you our anger, our frustrations. We can bring you our hopes, our disappointments. We know that we can bring anything to you, O Lord, because you will hold it in the palm of your hand and you will hold us in your warm embrace. We pray, O Lord, for the strength to know what it means to be a friend of yours, to know that we cannot be what we once were, because to be called your friends means that we are your friends. That means we have to be friends of one another. It means that love must rule all that we do. So, Lord, give us the power and the strength and the conviction to be your friends in this place, that we might let love rule. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and now we respond to what God has said with the giving of our tithes 
in our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or you may give if you live locally by dropping off your offering here through a drop slot we have by our main office doors. But give, friends, with glad and generous hearts so that we might be friends with one another, helping people in our local community and across the globe, that we might be able to honor what God has done for us, through us, and with us. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said and done is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So join me now as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'd now like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, the God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, the God of Easter and of celebration, help you to see, know, and believe that you have been called friends of God. And that is the difference that makes all the difference in the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you next week, same time, same place, to hear more about what life looks like after Easter as we continue to celebrate in the good news of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Go in peace, be well. Amen, amen, amen. Don't let me down.